Welcome to Business Done Differently, the podcast about challenging the status quo, creating fans first, and changing the game in business. I'm your host, Jesse Cole, and it's showtime. Today's guest is the king of cheer, Cameron Hughes. He's the world's only professional fan, and he's traveled all over the world, igniting crowds from the NBA Finals to the U.S. Open. His book, King of Cheer, shares countless stories of how taking chances, challenging the status quo, and finding unique and outrageous ways to contribute to a team. In this episode, Cameron and I go deep on creating moments that matter, on how you can give permission for others to stand out, and how to put the spotlight on others. I left truly inspired and fired up, and that's how Cameron leaves everybody he touches. So buckle up, get ready to get up for this episode with the one and only Cameron Hughes. All right, introducing the one and only, the king of cheer, Cameron Hughes. Welcome to Business Done Differently. Let's shake things up, Jesse. Can't wait. (laughs) You know I got Moni Moni playing. Well, you know, here she comes. Now, you know, this is one of the greatest call response songs in the history of sporting events, right? It's not maybe the best to dance to, but the crowd loves playing along, right? They love knowing when "Ah, they're going to yell, hey, 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 hey. So you already got us going. We got to warm up, warm up the crowd right now. Cameron, this is, you know, these are entrepreneurs. They're used to all these business professionals. What would you do right now if you want to get them warmed up for this amazing podcast? Well, you know, what I would do is I would ask them to stand up. I'd ask them to do 10 jumping jacks. I would ask them to grab a t-shirt. I would, even if you're wearing it, take it off, roll it around, change your state, Jesse, change your state, right? Get excited, be in the moment. If you're going to come and listen to this, then be in the moment. Otherwise, don't play along, right? I love it. I'm picturing people literally pulling over, taking their shirts off and ripping them off. And I hope that's happening to everyone that's listening <laughs> right now. Cameron, as you know, I've become a, a big fan of yours. I've been following you a little bit and read your book. And I'm like, yes, yes, yes. But for the people that don't know the craziness of Cameron Hughes, bring me back to that first night in Ottawa, the setting, the year, everything. Yeah, it was 1994, January 8th, 20 feet of snow in Ottawa. I'm from Canada. I was in and out of university kind of like as much as Frank the Tank was trying to find my thing, really. I, I know I, I was a bit of an entrepreneur, but I was a little lost at that time. And I had some academic issues, not going to lie to you. I'm living in my dad's basement. I've got a t-shirt company going. My buddy says, do you want to go to the Ottawa Center's NHL hockey game that night? I'm like, sure. And his dad had great seats. I used to have other seats at the top, like way nosebleeds, right? And I used to be pretty vocal, but I, that's all I did, right? But I also knew when to be vocal. So we're at the game. No one's cheering. First period, cricket. Second period, same thing. I'm actually starting to get upset, okay? I'm 100% sober. Nobody believes me, but it's true. I'm upset. Nobody's cheering. It's Saturday night. People have paid good money for their tickets. Let's do something. I look at my buddy. He's like, please don't, right? (laughs) And so the song, We Are Family comes on. And I don't know exactly what possessed me, but this thing that was burning inside me, I get up on my seat, but I face the crowd, right? I didn't do it with my back to the crowd. I don't know where I thought of that, but it wouldn't have worked if I had my back to the crowd, right? So I'm dancing, 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 dancing. And they're all looking at me like I was out of my mind. Dude, there's no jumbotrons. There's no entertainment department. There's like an organ player and a DJ, maybe, right? Back in the day. Yeah. And the crowd just was like stunned. But then they came along and they started to cheer. Then the other section saw it. 
And boom, play resumes. I sit back down in my seat. And there's a buzz in the arena, right? How many sporting events have you been to? <laughs> Numerous. Too many. Exactly. Yeah. How many times have you been to a game where someone does something funny or has a great idea and then that's it, right? Yes. So that could have been my moment. Boom, that was funny. That time you danced the game. I then, I tell people, you know, my story, the reason I've had this accidental career isn't really that, it's not that I got up that first time. It's the fact that what happened next. 10,000 people turn around at the next time out. The DJ plays a big dance song. I'm like, oh my God, what do I do? They want me to do something. I got to do something, right? Dude. Were they, were they all looking at you? Were they all like looking yeah. at you? Okay. Yeah, 10,000 people are like, come on, Big Red, let's dance. So I get up from my seat. I go to the aisle and I start dancing up and down the aisle. I'm wearing a jean shirt, obviously with jeans, Canadian yeah. tuxedo. You still wear that. And I'm flailing my arms like a lunatic. And they're all looking at me like, okay, I guess we cheer. <laughs> I guess we go crazy. So dude, the song ends, 10,000 people stand up, standing ovation. If that was it, that would have been like still worth writing at least a page about in my journal. <laughs> I go back to my seat. A rep from the team is there. They say, hey, what's your number? We want to call you. We want to have you back. I'm like, okay. I didn't know what it meant, right? So the next day, I go to my local rink job, work at a hockey rink, the Canadian dream. Get home. My dad's like, what did you do last night? I'm like, what do you mean? He's like, shows me the front page of the Ottawa newspaper, dancing redhead bandit steals the show at the Senators game 26 years ago. Wow. And so that moment, then obviously there was a lot of different stories from there, took you on to, or you said you didn't make your basketball team, but you ended up on the center court of the NBA finals. Yeah. I mean, that was my whole thing. I mean, in high school, every kid wants to make their team. They want to maybe to help them meet a girl and make their parents proud and be part of something. I didn't make the team. It really bummed me out. It was also a tough time in my life. My mother was fighting breast cancer. And she said to me, Jesse, she said, maybe there's another way you contribute to the team. Like she had this message, something like that. Like just saying like, you don't have to be on the team. You can still be part of it. And I didn't know what she meant, right? It was just kind of like this weird, it's almost like she planted a seed, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then it kind of stuck with me. She passed away, which was, you know, a horrible thing for me as a kid. But it was this fuel that ignited in me of wanting to take her message of big heart, connecting, just leading with love. That's who my mom, my mom was a nurse. She was a career counselor, all about people. So that spark was in me at that young age. And that's why, you know, I could talk about it and it could be 10 chapters in a book, the, all the rejection you face trying to get out there, all the, you know, highs and lows. But I knew ultimately what it, where it came from, right? The heart. Yeah. And I think if you lead with that, you'll be all right. So you got to just the teaser there. Why were you on center court of the NBA finals? How'd that happen? Oh yeah. I didn't quite get to that moment. <laughs> so you go from not making the high school basketball team to center court of the NBA. I'm in Cleveland. I'm performing at the Cavs game. I was doing my normal routine, you know, in the crowd, get up, twirl the shirts and the mascots are on the side of the court. The Cavs, I think it was 2015 are winning by a lot. They're like, come on, let's sneak you on the court. We won't tell the producer. So they had these, this flag bit where it was loud, louder, loudest. And, and the middle of the flags was a hole. And I would help carry the flag onto the court. And then next thing I know, the mascots would pop out. Then it was me, 22,000 people at the queue in Cleveland. And it was insane. Unbelievable. You know, obviously I talk so much about standing out and being different and finding your niche. When I was listening to the story about Ottawa, you weren't just doing your thing. You were performing for the audience, for the fans, as a fan. 
which I think is so important. And so that moment, I guess, give me a little more idea. You, you dance, you shirts. I love how you start ripping off lots of shirts. You even have your own, you have the dancing guy in the beginning. You start actually marketing yourself. Tell us a little bit about like what this routine turned into, because I want people to picture like you're a fan who's just solely trying to get everyone fired up. Yeah, I think that's, it's something that I don't think enough people discuss because at the heart of it, I didn't go there going, I want to get hired and I want to be talking to Jesse who's wearing a yellow tux 26 years later. And I want, you know what I mean? There was no vision, right? But I was always fun and I was always, always had that. But I just decided like it was working, like something was working. The crowd responded to this spontaneous fun of it, right? Because it wasn't a shtick, you know what I mean? It was just dancing like an idiot. I had a t-shirt company, so I, I put all these t-shirts on and said, the dancing guy. And then the teams, other teams that I started to perform for were like, we want you to wear our shirts now. Yeah. Not there, you know what I mean? I should have, you know, if I look back, I was thinking I should have branded my own t-shirts and that was part of my contract. <laughs> I would have a massive t-shirt empire. But regardless, it's always been about being that authentic fan from that night. I mean, I try to replicate that night every time I go to any game creating that, that moment that sets the tone for a game is powerful, right? 100%. Obviously, we can get into a lot of the, the lessons in the business world, but from the sports world, I know there's people in the sports industry listening to this. Just give me a little bit more of that routine, like the introductions. And you saw some of the ideas that I got from this. I shared in my book report, but share me like, what is the intro? What does the routine look like? Well, in the early days, it was just they'd play a song and I'd get up and dance. That was it. And they'd find me on the camera. <laughs> and and there'd be time. Right? Big over-the-top bad dancing. Big, over-the-top, bad dancing. I was asked recently, like very earnestly, are you a good dancer? I'm like, um, no, but I am on stairs for a guy who's 6'3 and my size. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, So I just go. I just keep moving. And it's actually really hard to dance on stairs, and I've obviously been hurt a lot, but that's another story. <laughs> it's like dancing, dancing, manic. And then that went from that to the T-shirts to the actually leading team cheers and reward the fans at the end of the cheer, you know, you know, Oilers go, and then you throw them t-shirts. That led to me getting other fans up with t-shirts. That led to other fans starting the way with me, uh, doing funny bits with me, me getting in the crowd and not just having these big, huge pops, but this true connection. That's how it's evolved in that sense. And the other way it's involved is, like you said, bigger intros, you know, like at some arenas I've opened up with Blue Man Group and people are like, what? Yeah. Blue Man Group and I done it twice in Las Vegas. I've pretended to be an usher, you know, lots of different things. I see you as like the best manana we could ever have. So we have a male cheerleading team. I think, you know, the mananas, they're now known as the dad bod cheerleading squad. And uh, you do have one of the best dad bods I've seen, Cameron. And I'm saying that as a compliment. But like your job is taken for what it is. Your job is getting the whole crowd into it. And I think you were described as a reliable wild card. And I laughed hysterically. We talked about before the wheelchair incident, and some of these other things, a reliable wild card. Elaborate on that, and you have to share the wheelchair incident. We'll probably lose a few listeners because of it. Well, yeah, I mean, my whole thing is you've got to push the fans because they're there to experience something. You know this, like you live this every day. You breathe it. You probably, your list of ideas is 10 miles long, but I think fans from the heart of it go to an event and want to be pushed. Some obviously more than others, like obviously, right? Some people go to a big concert and scream and yell and sing every song. Others just go and soak it in. That's fine. You buy the ticket, that's your experience, right? But I also know that inherently when you connect with them, when you build rapport, when you create that moment, when you see a bit of their smile, which I've learned to read very fast, who I can have fun with, 
you know, um, I was in Rio Grande one night and I got up and there's this gentleman who's easily 400 pounds, big, big, big guy, has the shirt, his stomach's rolling over. And we ended up having a dance off and he actually didn't like me. He was because he was like the loud guy for their arena. Um, and he was a really good dancer. He <laughs> was legitimately a good dancer. He didn't go up and down the stairs like I did. But he, it was just like a, you push it, right? And then the wheelchair thing was I was at a game, an uh, AHL game in Lehigh Valley. The crowds whipped into a frenzy. It's the second period, second half of the second period, throwing T-shirts out. It's awesome. It's on fire. I've done a bunch of games there. This lady, I'm about to go down the stairs. This woman comes over to me. I hear her yelling. She goes, hey, sweetie, hey, sweetie. And I turn around and she's probably 75 plus. She's in a wheelchair and she says, hey, sweetie. I would love it if me and my girls could get a t-shirt from you. We love you. We think you're great. So my assistant's with me, my, my assistant, my stage manager, and the security person, Usher. I look at her with a smile and a little grin. I said, oh, I'm sorry. I can't give you a shirt. I'm not a big fan of senior citizens, especially if they're in a wheelchair. Can you imagine my stage manager and the Usher, their reaction? You know what she did? She laughed so hard, she almost fell out of her wheelchair. <laughs> She was with me from the get-go, right? She then said, come with me. So I go with her. I meet her other three friends. They're all in a wheelchair. We take a picture. I hug all of them. We have this great picture. And I put it in my, my book. You know why? Because they loved it. Yes. I could frame that story 50 ways and everyone would be offended. I'd be canceled. But guess what? She loved it. And I've told that to other people who are in wheelchairs. And guess what? They love it. Yes. You know why? Because we've got to laugh. Yes. We've got to let go. We've got to just say, hey, I'm not making fun of her. I'm having a blast with her. Yeah. She knows she's a senior citizen. She knows she's in a wheelchair. We're good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's funny. I, I read that in the book. I almost did a spit take. And then I was like, yep, that's why. <laughs> you know, I was like, I can't believe this. But, you know, not even Curtis Pride. I'm going back to my notes in the book. But you got to connect with the fans individually. And I think let's take this out of sports for a second. Whether you're taking on 100, 200 people coming into your retail store, thousands of people going online, how do you connect individually? Was that where you learned the lesson? Because you make eye contact with people. You really try to connect with them and make it bigger than just you're a guy entertaining 10,000 people. I just went to a coffee shop before we did this, okay? And it wasn't super busy. But my thing is that young lady behind there is going to be working there for eight hours today, right? She's going to be looking after hundreds of people in the middle of this crazy time we're in. Why not put a smile on her face? And she'll put a smile on my face in return. Why not, right? We have an opportunity. And then I've taken that concept, that feeling of building rapport, which is what we do, right? Any entertainer like builds rapport. And anyone in retail or anyone in sales, you build rapport, you feel comfortable with them. Then relationship forms, then the trust forms, and then the transaction, so to speak, conform. The transaction with me and the woman in the wheelchair was like halfway done by the time I said anything, right? If you really think about it, she liked me. She told me she liked me. I knew she was a fan. She was at the arena. So the trust that we've already got allowed me to say that. I mean, I just want to ask you, like, when you guys build rapport, like, do you talk specifically talk about that when you're at your games and fans, or you just create experiences which do that? Like, do you well, philosophically? Yeah, well, it starts with, I mean, for us, you turn the question, all right, already, uh, five stages. So we have the parking lot, the plaza, the concourse, the grandstand, the seating, and then the field. And we look at ways in each stage, how do we connect? 
So literally on the, in the parking lot, our parking penguins who are dressed in penguin costumes hand freezy pops to little kids and say, stay cool today. Then our players are greeting the fans as they come in. Then our pep band, our banana nana. So that's part of the experience coming in. And then the plaza is the band playing and actually moving out of the stage and playing right next to people. And our band yeah. rotates. So it's all about that because you get your own performance. It's not just one stage that everyone's watching. The stage, bring the stage to them. Okay, so here's what I don't understand. So I, I've done some consulting with some different teams and I talk about what you just said, but I framed it as touch points, which is what yeah. you're talking about, right? Yeah, 100%. It's all those different touch points. So I've always said, like, why isn't the person, you drive a half hour to the arena, whatever it is, and why isn't the person who's the first person you see at the parking lot wearing the worst outfit of everyone you're going to meet tonight, <laughs> right? <laughs> why aren't they in the most, the brightest jersey from your team with their, I don't know, whatever else safety thing they have to have on, greeting you and twirling, doing something. Yes. You know, obviously, they have a job to do. I love that you say that because... Their job should be the entertainment. Like, of course hire, your job should be like, we hired a professional high-fiver. Their sole job, he's a six-year-old. His sole job is to high-five people. We pay him, break every child labor law there is. But that's his sole <laughs> job. So he's out in front high-fiving people. We hired a professional luchador like wrestler. He does the haka with the players, but he also greets fans and does wrestling moves. That's their job. So those touch points add up to what? Loyalty, experience, conversation, return customers, right? 100%. 100%. I went into a retail shop recently and obviously I had a mask on and it took someone 20 minutes to say, can I help you? I was like, and I'm still mad at myself for not saying something. I didn't want to because everyone's going through whatever. I ended up buying what I needed. But I was also like, I'm not going to make a stink. But where was the hello? Where was the love? Well, I mean, you were wearing the scream mask. So you were scaring. That's were scaring. true. And I was twirling t-shirts with my shirt off. <laughs> yes. so you got to put some context to it, Cameron. No, That's true. You're so spot on. And I was just thinking about, you know, a couple of years ago, whatever with my dad. My dad's 72 years old. He's more conservative. He doesn't know how I was his son. Like a completely different background. So, but when I go out with him and we order food or we do things, I turn it up a little bit because I like to see my dad's reaction. We go to a sandwich place. I'll never forget this. A couple of years ago, I go, I'm looking for the best sandwich of my life right now. And I got all excited. I go, I believe in you guys. I love, like, I started going over the top. And they were all laughing behind and they made this sandwich. And I go, this is the best sandwich I've ever had in my entire life. And my dad now goes there every time before COVID and says, I'm looking for the best sandwich of my life. So again, what I notice is you can get people out of the shell and they can be more full of life when you give them permission to be. Yes. And the best experiences you have they've kind of greased it. They've oiled it saying, okay, like before you even get there, they've greased it up a bit. You know what I mean? Yes. Uh, they've done something on social media, yes. whether it's subliminal or not, right? They've done ads, they've done radio, they've done all these things to create this mindset. So then when you come to the event, you're ready to go, right? Yes. No, but, and, and then those, it's just a quick note. And those little touch points then add up. And I think the question is, whatever you're doing, how do you get people primed for that experience with you? And so, for instance, I, I, when people buy a ticket, they get a video sent to them and it says, congrats, you just made the best decision in your day. Right now, as your ticket order came in, a high-priority siren went off at our stadium, and our Bananiacs rushed to the ticket laboratory to produce your tickets. Then a Banana Nana slowly walked in and hand-selected your tickets and placed them on a silk pillow. We raised the silk pillow to the air and sang, nah, Savannah, to celebrate the birth of a new fan. And then we walked our tickets down to their vault where they're ready for you to go bananas. That's the first touch point, all right? People were like, what is happening? Then our ticket experience corner sends a playlist of music to listen to on the way to the ballpark. And so, and then we go into all those touch points from there. Because when our game starts, Cameron, we want them up here. 
When we ask 4,000 people to dance, hey baby, we don't want one person sitting down. And if you don't do those touch points to prime before, good luck. They're like, no, this is a typical sporting event. I'm not ready for this. Okay, let me ask you this. Why don't teams do it? Are they lazy? Do they not want to offend people? Like, why? Well, I, I think teams do it to an extent, but it's an, un, as you know, it's an unbelievable attention to detail that takes years to continue to add. As Walt Disney said, we're always plussing the experience, plussing the experience. For us, it started with just dancing players. There were no touch points before. Our players danced, which was different. Then we expanded out, expanded out, expanded out, expanded out. Your first routine, you were just dancing. You had no idea what you're doing. Then the t-shirts came. Then the routines. Right? Well, look, it's a really good point. I read this really good book. It's called, <laughs> have you read it? <laughs> I haven't heard of that book. It's an old book. It's amazing. Yes. So in this book that I read, <laughs> should we say what it is? Find your yellow tux. I've heard of it, yes. Yeah. I just stapled it together this morning. <laughs> no, but I mean, it's a great book, by the way. Congratulations. It's your fans' first mindset creates everything. That, you know, I've taken a lot away from your book, but that's when, if that's what's driving you, every decision, it's the fun factor for the fans. Then everything, like, the problem is, like, all the teams that I've worked with, you, you know, we know, they're so focused on the court, on the play. Like, you know, you're going to come into our arena tonight, the team's not playing really well, so... I wouldn't go as crazy tonight. You're like, what? <laughs> well, go you know crazier. What I mean? Yeah. Go crazier. Yeah. So your fans' first concept is like, I, sometimes I want to shake these team executives or businesses I'm working with. I'm like, it doesn't matter if it's raining out or there's 20 feet of snow or, or your team's the worst in the league. People showed up. It's not about who didn't show up. It's about who did show up, you know, and on and on and on. It's not who doesn't show up. It's who does that matter. And that's a cameraism, king of cheerism. We say every game is someone's first game. That's what you've been doing. And I think it's so spot on. Cameron, I got to share something from the book because it's such a powerful quote. You're actually pretty smart, which is good to see, you know? <laughs> <laughs> you're not just this crazy dancing guy. Like, you, you know what you're well, talking about. You know what's funny? If anything, I've surprised people that I was even able to put it together. The book's amazing. We'll talk more about that later. I'll actually share my book report with everyone, my takeaways. But you had a speech topic because you give speeches as well, lots of keynotes all over. Remove the barriers to create an emotional experience that makes your fans come alive. And you said this, the driving force behind everything I do is the idea that when it comes to an audience, it's all about creating a feeling. Make people feel something. Make them come alive. When you feel something, you talk about it, you share it, and you ultimately want to do it again. People won't remember the tweet of the game, but they'll remember getting up to dance, cheer, let loose, being pushed, and connecting with the community. Mic drop. <laughs> We're you. out. End of Thank you so much for having me today. <laughs> that right there transcends sports. It's exactly what we're talking about. When I see a six-year-old girl dancing with her 60-year-old grandpa and everyone's doing the same dance, you know, I see a grown man who can see he's like not used to this and he's singing on top of his lungs, living on a prayer with the whole stadium singing. Those are moments that you are coming alive. You're not thinking about a tweet. You're not thinking about what you have to do later that night. You're not thinking about all your chores. You're thinking about being a part of a moment. We need more of that and that's what you were able to do and that's why I think your book transcends sports that we need to think about in our business. How are we creating that? Yeah. I mean, it's obviously tricky. And like you said, it takes time to figure out. It takes finessing. It takes, you know, I think ultimately it takes a creative license to come into an organization, a meeting, whatever platforms people create to bring ideas. And it doesn't matter if you're, you know, the parking lot attendant or the CEO. Yeah. Everyone has experienced what your brand is. So they know your brand. Nobody yeah. knows it. Sure. People know it better intrinsically. The the value of it or how it was made, all those different things. Of course, people do, right? But everyone has 
everyone's touched the brand in, in these company, in your company, in Minnesota Wild, wherever it might be. So why aren't we opening that creative license up to people? I, that's one thing I would do if I was. And it starts at the top, Cameron. The reality is the organizations you've worked for, and you know the ones that either go well or don't go well, if the owner, the CEO, the president are all on board on this type of experience, you will see that with everyone in the organization. But if they're not, if they're talking about sales, revenue, quarterly profits, what the team has to do on the court or on the field, it's a different experience. And I think it starts 100% at the top. So your CEO listening right now, how often do you talk about making people feel something and an emotional connection versus how much you talk about revenue, profits, and sales? Well, it's crazy. Your product, I mean, and, and you, you talk about it really early in your book is, yes, there's a baseball game going on, but there's a party that's kind of more important right now. Because ultimately, we've said this before, and we'll say it again, and we'll both keep saying it our whole life. You can't control what happens on the field, but you can control what happens in the stands, in the parking lot, on the grandstand, et cetera, right? So, and, and much the same, you can't control how many people are going to walk into your store if you have a store in downtown Main Street in, uh, I don't know, in Wichita. Yeah. But you can control what happens when they walk in. Yeah. And you can control how you create the feeling before they get there. All right. So Cameron, we just got into a very serious points. All right. Which is a little foreign for us. Um, <laughs> we're not doing anything ridiculous. I'm not wearing bananas underwear, throwing up. I'm not throwing bacon, bacon, toilet paper at you. So we are going to mix it up and go into a little fun now. All right. We got the serious points. We know connection, make people feel something. Now we're going to go into our first game. Are you mentally prepared? Not really, but okay. All right, good. It's, it's, it's early for you. So we'll, we'll get started. This is called truth and dare. Which one do you want first? Truth. Truth. All right. Regrets, a performance, maybe a performance you didn't do, a regret. 25 years performing in front of millions of fans. What's one regret looking back? Uh, Cavaliers, NBA playoffs. I got up and I had, it was insane. It was, I think, game, like a huge game. The crowd knew me. I have 90 seconds, if that. I have 75 seconds on the clock to set the tone, right? A fan from Golden State comes up in my face, just all over me. You clearly was drunk, all over me, threw me off. At one point, I actually had to like physically touch him and like kind of like he was in my grill. And everyone on the screen saw it, right? And then I eventually did, I can't remember exactly what I did, but I kind of like, kind of pushed him out of the way, something like that. And then the bit ended and as I walked up, I looked at him and I was like, what the bleep? were you doing? Like, what's wrong with you? And all the fans were on my side. I walk up, police officers there. He's like, Hey, is everything okay? Like, cause the guy was physically on me. Then I physically touched him, which I should never, ever, ever have done. Right. Caught up in the moment. So anyhow, uh, the game goes on and everyone that I would see throughout the rest of the game would say, what was up with that guy? What was up with that guy? You know, even a police officer said, I, we were with you, but you shouldn't touch him. I'm like, I know that <laughs> I go back to actually apologize to him later in the game to be a bigger person. He'd been kicked out because he was such an idiot. <laughs> so I've never really had a moment like that. And it really, that's the first thing I would think about. Yeah. Interesting. Well, I think there's so many performances you've done and it's easy to think of one thing, you know, one person that may have criticized or been against it. And the challenge for us leaders is it hurts. We get criticism. We get criticized regularly because we do things that are crazy. When we did our fans giving game, the first comment was tonight was an absolute cluster. You know, it was tough. And then how do we actually look at that as, all right, that's a small percentage of people. You had 20,000 people on your side. So your regret, you would have said you wouldn't have let it affect you. If you were to look back and say, no, I'm going to give myself permission to be crazy no matter what people think. 
Yeah, and a hundred percent. But I also, I mean, people come after me. I've had everything. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. And so you have to learn to shake it off. I've had criticisms online and media. I've had, yeah. I've had it all. He's fake. He's this. He's that. All those things. Yeah. But in the moment, you have to learn to control your emotions because you're a brand ambassador for that team that's bringing you in, right? 100%. And so, yeah, I mean, to say I don't take it personally would be the biggest lie I've ever told because yeah. of course I do. I'm a human being, right? Yeah. <laughs> we all are. We all care what the fans think. And if you don't, then we shouldn't be here, right? You know, it's interesting about that regret question. It's a tough question, but I believe so much at the end of our life, we're not going to regret the things we did do. We're going to regret the things we didn't do. And it sounds like more of the regret was not you giving your full performance because you were affected by this gentleman. Yeah, that's exactly what it was. I, I didn't nail the moment the way I wanted to. Yeah. And at the end of the day, you know this really well. I think it's a huge, huge thing and wish I had written a bit more about in the book was setting people up for success, right? Because the Cavs in that moment set me up for success. They timed the video well, they timed the music, they timed it all. And then this guy threw a wrench into it. I mean, so yeah, you need to set people up for success. So things like that, for the most part, don't happen, right? <laughs> 100%. All right, time for the dare. Are you ready? Yes, Dare. All right. So at the state, Dare could be anything for you, but no one can see on video. I mean, you could have all your shirts off and just <laughs> things, but we're not going to do that. And so for audio purposes, at our stadium, the listeners know we do sing-offs. We do the metal bleachers in the deck versus the whole main grandstand. We play a song. When the song finishes, we have to sing off, finish those lyrics. So what oh happens is you have 4,000 people singing. I know you can't sing. You say you can't dance. So here's the thing. I'm picking one of your top five party, uh, one of those songs, top five party starters. All right? Yeah. Here's the song. When the song finishes, <gasps> you need to finish that song lyric. You ready, Cameron? Oh, yeah. Here we go. Mr. Brightside, I telling you to get up and dance. <laughs> the fact that you went after the next lyric, I'm very impressed. I was just hoping you'd get Mr. Brightside, and you did, so you won the game. Oh, thank you. Yes, you were the big winner. Congrats. That's a good song at a game. Yeah, What's your favorite song at a game? Oh, cool. I have to go to a tradition here at the ballpark. And for us, it's the Hey Baby, the DJ Ortiz version. Yeah. What happens is our whole team gets on the dugouts, our whole staff, everybody in the whole stadium is going, hey, hey, baby, ooh, ah, I want to know. And seeing 4,000 people doing that at the ballpark is just, no matter what my day is, no matter how the game's going, I'm like, we're doing something special. That, that's it for me. Do you do that at every game? That's a tradition, yeah. That's usually the fourth or fifth inning. So how many things that are big like that do you do at every game, or how many do you mix up? So every night is one where we have to do is one new brand new promotion pregame that we've never done before and one brand new during the game we've never done before. A lot of nights okay. we do two or three. But our hits, I've heard this from, I forget who said this, John McCain, a speaker. He goes, you got to play your hits. He has to tell his favorite story every time. If Eagles don't, you know, don't play you know, Hotel California or take it easy, people will be upset. So our hits, every game we do Banana Baby before the game where we lift the baby up uh, in a banana costume and the whole stadium goes, nah, Savannah. That's a pregame every single game. Our players dance every single game, but every night it's a completely different dance from Britney Spears to Bruno Mars, you name it. You were going to ask. Well, me. if you look at successful things, like obviously you look at TV, right? You look at the biggest successful shows. Yeah. You knew that it, on every episode of Cheers, you know, Norm's going to walk into the bar. They're going to welcome him. Yeah. Sam's going to have things like we like familiarity, right? Friends, Chandler's going to bust through the door, whatever it is, right? Those yeah. moments that, Fans and customers, we want that safety of experience, right? 
and then there's like, you take it and if you mess with it too much, that's why like, you know, if you're a big rock band and you change your, the way you're singing too much, people are like, oh my God, how dare you do that, right? So, but for you guys, and I've seen this at so many other venues is, I've always asked like, why do you do military night every night? I asked a friend of mine and he's like, cause it's important, A, and B, it gets the biggest cheer. <laughs> and I was like, oh, okay. Yeah. In a beautiful way, the crowd comes together, right? 100%. So if you're looking at that from a business perspective, for me, this has been a really important thing in my career. It's like, I've been asked to do a lot of things, you know, at games and events where I just don't trust it. It's not in my gut. I'm like, that's not what works. And there's a few times where I've gone against it. And in the moment it didn't work, but in the big picture, it did. Like I had to trust it, right? Yes. Well, that's a part of the experimentation. So how do you have the balance of your hits plus experimentation? Putting on a great game, even putting on a great customer experience, do the things that you know wins, but also constantly experiment. We know every game, our players will go into the crowd and deliver roses to little girls on a knee. Like that will happen every game because that's an ooh moment. We know the military at this time, can all military past and present please stand? And you have about 200 people, big military town here in Savannah, they stand and everyone gives a standing ovation. The players come in, we give hats, we're shaking their hands, we're acknowledging them. Like that happens every game because it's a poignant moment. So the question is, how do you balance that roller coaster from everyone cheering, yelling, dancing to a real special moment like the cute flower to a girl? And that's the balancing of script that, you know, our friend, mutual friend, Johnny Greco is going to join me, you know, next week. I think that's what the best entertainers know is how to do that. And I say entertainers from sports, Cameron, but I'm saying we're all entertainers. The definition of entertain is to provide enjoyment and provide amusement. We are all entertainers. And if we start looking at ourselves as entertainers and balancing a script of emotional connection, we win. And so do our customers, our teammates, and our business. Got me on a rant there. No, I mean, <laughs> I'm with you on that at every, every level. And I think that obviously some humans are wired differently to react differently in social settings, right? That's the other thing that there's sections in libraries dedicated to that, right? how we adapt in social environments. So to create a safe space for your fans, aka your customers, to feel like they can get up and sing these funny songs and their kid is comfortable going to get a rose from a stranger. Like you've created a safe space, right? I mean, I've had moments with kids. I got to tell you. So there you go. a couple of weeks ago, my book's out. I get an email from a kid. He goes, hey, you remember me? His name's Carter from Bakersfield. And I'm like, no. And then I read the story. I'm like, yeah, I do. He used to come on my shoulders. I'd twirl the shirts with me since he was like six years old. He's 18 now, okay, or 19. And he sends a picture. And I'm like, oh my God. I'm like, so here's what I thought. His parents felt comfortable with me to be with their kid in that moment to empower that kid to be the star. And so what are you doing there? You're creating a safe space. You're creating enjoyment. And you're also doing something that's like, people are like, your kid did what last night? <laughs> you know? Amazing. It's amazing. You know, it's funny. I, as purely ADD entertainers like we are, I literally, my mind goes in our place. And when you show my book, or I just realized for the first time, we both have pictures of us with our hands up in the air on our books. So our hands are up in the air. I'm throwing t-shirts. You can't actually see the t-shirts. Are, yeah. are we screen grabbing this? <laughs> like, this is hilarious. We need to because our mouths are wide open and our hands are up in the air. I'm throwing t-shirts, which is ironic. And you're just yelling, which is hilarious. I'm about to throw a t-shirt, you know? Yes. That's the other thing, though. The t-shirt thing, I'll, I mean, it's, this is not my podcast, by the way, is, <laughs> is the t-shirt concept of giving fans something has always been something for me that I think is valuable, and they love it. It's an extension of your brand. And I can't tell you, dude, how many places I've been 
where they're like, oh, well, we have 20 t-shirts for you. I said, 20 t-shirts for my one hit? They're like, yeah, for the whole game. I'm like, what are you talking about? I want 200 t-shirts. Like, well, what are you talking about? I go, I'm going to create so much excitement in the crowd. They're going to catch a t-shirt. And for the rest of that eight-year-old's life, until they're too cool to remember it, they're going to know where they got that shirt. Love it so much. Is that worth $5? I love it so much. I love it so much. We're only throwing about 10 shirts out and it makes me, uh, yeah, you need to look at that and say, no. You only throw 10 shirts out a game? Yeah. We'll have to talk offline. We'll have to talk. No, but it's, it's a, <laughs> but, but I'll tell you, here's one difference, Cameron, that most teams don't do. When we do the t-shirt toss in the first inning, it's players go into the crowd individually. Yeah. They're getting the crowd going. The t- players, I'm doing it. And when I throw out my two shirts, the last person I throw to a shirt is, is one like grown man who's getting way too excited. He's just going nuts. And I'm like, this guy's crazy. So I throw it to him and he opens it up and it's our underwear. And so he's holding our underwear and I make him put it on in front of the crowd. So he gets on the bench, he puts it on and he's holding it like this and everyone's cheering. So it is a special moment that you build it, but there should be more. When we do the roses, the t-shirts, you know, we did rations during our Thanksgiving game. We threw out candy corn, we threw out pieces of bread and banana nut muffins. Like people love anything that you can throw, and especially if it's from a player, which we can do. Well, yeah, just getting just like that sort of that collective crazy crowd mentality and you got something out of it is a special thing. Yeah. You know, people wonder why they go so crazy. It's because it's a crowd. It's an energy, right? And you're the one who got it. Wow. Once COVID is tamed, we, I mean, our players, when they hit a home run score run, part of their duty is they're going to run through the entire crowd. So literally hit a home run, come in, and then just start high-fiving everyone in the crowd because breaking down those barriers. That's the things that we can do that I think a lot of teams or businesses don't think about. What are the other teams, I mean, think about this when they come to your stadium. Oh, geez. Yeah. At first they're like, what is this? But you know, the first four years, people were very questioning. And then the last few years, people were like, they know what they're getting. They see us on TikTok. They see our videos. So when we pick out a donut hitter before every game on their team, and if he strikes out, the whole stadium is going, donut, yeah. donut. Then we give donuts. The place goes nuts. And this year, like, we're going to have a weigh-in before the game at home plate, a scale, and picking a player from the visiting team, he takes his shirt off, flexes, then our home player comes over and they have a stare down. They know they're a part of this story that we're creating, and that's what WWE is so good at. So, I mean, we do tug of wars between both teams before the game to get the crowd going. So now they're in it, and the next year they usually want to play for us. And what do the other teams do? Like, are they watching you? And they're, like, what I've realized is, I'm gonna go from me to you, but it's like, when I go to a game and there's a mascot there, Yes. The person who hired me, the director of entertainment or marketing, will always tell me the mascot gave a better show that day. Because <laughs> <laughs> there's a bit of like this, because a bit of jealousy. There's this uh, like, because I can get the crowd going, I can speak, and the mascot's like, oh, you know, not every game. I'm just saying, like yeah. a lot of them. So what did the other team, and in other words, it ups their game, and it also like makes me realize that, A, I'm grateful to be in their arena, right? Yeah, 100%. But do other teams, have they upped their game as well? I hope so, and I think so. I, I think it's tough to go so far over the line. You know, when you have a breakdancing first base coach doing the moonwalk, and you have a luchador coach and a grandma coach, and you have yeah. you know, all these things, it's tough to get there. And sure. so I think teams are, and we've learned from a lot of teams, but Cameron, you're doing a great job of turning around this podcast. You were in the hot seat, my man. All right, I'm coming back to you, all right? Okay. I like <laughs> this. That, that's well, I read this great book. Yeah, yeah, I hear you. It's podcast 2.0. I'm going to come back, go a little bit sports right now, and then finish with uh, the business world because a lot of your cameraisms and the ideas fit for the business world. But in sports, I want to just jam on some ideas with you because I want to put yourself as you're an owner of a team and some ideas that you would do because 
when I was reading your book, you saw some of my takeaways and the ideas in the book report and like thinking about the way that you were ripping off clothes. I was like, we need to have our own closer. And I don't know if you saw that one, but literally at the end of the game, we say, coming in in the eighth inning, we point to the crowd and someone comes in and just starts ripping your clothes off to music. I was like, you know, that gets people more involved. Why doesn't baseball have a halftime show? You know, why don't we have, we stop the game halfway through, middle of the fourth inning, and have a 30-second halftime chaos show. Music, celebration, and then stop. All these things from other sports. What things would you take or that you've seen from different sports that you might bring in and say, there should be more of this? Well, I mean, that's... <laughs> I give you the big loaded question after throwing out a bunch of ideas, yeah. Well, I mean, a lot of it for me, there's two parts that are immediately come to my head. And, and, you know, it's a big question with a lot of answers to it. But there's two things. One, I would rip up the script more. Okay. And I, I could, I'll go in a bit of detail. Yes. Is I've been to way too many events where a big moment, let's take a hockey game, okay? The hockey game's exciting. Your team is down a bit. Your team scores. And then you can feel the adrenaline in the arena. The, the momentum's shifting your way. And the next time out, you go to a 90-second read to sell uh, energy from an oil company or a gas company, Chevron commercial or whatever it is, right? And you've just killed the energy in the room. Yeah. So one of the biggest things I would do, and I've begged team executives to do, is have permission to rip up the script at the right times. Get back to that. You could go back to that Chevron spot, yeah. okay? Sponsors are so consumed at these events. Well, you don't have sponsors. Well... I would not let sponsorship dictate the flow of my, the audience fun. I, love it. I would allow it to be part of it because you need, a lot of teams need it to pay the bills, right? I love it. I, the message now to Shark, our announcer, and, and Tyler Gray, our director of fun, who's going to be listening to this, we'll call them energy audibles and always have energy audibles at any point to throw into the script. All right, number two. Number two, uh, I think I would engage every single person. I mean, we talked about this a bit. I would engage every single person who works for us more often from like we talked about the parking lot attendants to the popcorn people. It sounds like it's something that you do a lot. My mom said to me, Jesse, as a kid going through a hard time, there's other ways you can contribute to the team. Well, you know this from your experience, but taking it to other teams and companies is not everyone's going to be on the field. Not everyone's going to be like break dancing coach, but everyone can be part of your team, which you've done, right? So I would want every person that I work with that's on our team to feel like they're contributing ideas and excitement and energy. And I would value that at another level. I would take, I'm not saying comparing to your level, I would say in general for the average team. A lot of the teams I've seen, their ideas are squashed before they get into the boardroom. And how does that feel? Like if you're walking into a boardroom, right? You know, you'll never bring another idea because of that. As soon as you don't give them opportunity to do it, give them opportunity to do it. You know, it's interesting, Kerry, if you could look at every position, you were just a, a fan, literally a fan entertainer. Why isn't the ice cream person? Why isn't the beer person? Why isn't, you know, I started looking like, why don't we have hawkers that are entertaining? You know, it's not just about selling this. How does everyone have a role to entertain? Well, there's a guy, I used to do the Toronto Blue Jay games, and there's been a lot of these characters at different stadiums. You know, the guys that throw the caramel corn and, yeah, yeah, yeah. you know, can hit it from a distance. And and then obviously, like, because of rules and stuff, they had to stop that. But there's different ways to do it, right? I would have at least, if I had a stadium of 18,000 people, I would have at least half a dozen charismatic people selling beer, popcorn, whatever it is. Like I'm saying charismatic is in next level. Everyone needs to be charismatic if you're selling. If you're in the crowd and you're selling a product and you don't have charisma, you're not hired. Yeah. 
It's so I had an earlier podcast. Have you ever flown through Charlotte and seen uh, there's a Today Show newsstand and her name's Valerie Washington and she sings the whole time she's doing the order. So she's like chip reader, money read, money bleeder, and she's like singing about everything. I don't know if you've come across her, but uh, she's a legend and she literally she makes more bit money for that business because she's having fun. People go out of their way to go to Concourse E to be able to go see Valerie. She used to make $500 in tips as a bathroom attendant because she was just singing, don't worry, pee happy. Like having fun, like that's what it is. Well, there's two parts to that. One is, like you said, it's creating that mindset. Like some of the teams that I've worked with have created a mindset where you come to the event, you're primed. What can we do basically to do that with our team and our staff or employees, right? To give them permission. Why do we not allow it to happen? What are we afraid of? Yes. Right? When I go and rent a car, and this is a plug for Enterprise because I've been using them for I don't know how many, 20 years. You're, literally, you, you know a guy who, wait, we have zero sponsors at our stadium, no sponsors here. Now you're going with a sponsored ad to Enterprise. Here we go. Let's go. Yeah, here we go. <laughs> hey, they'll pick you up, by the way. Yeah, I heard that. When I go and pick up my car, I've traveled across the country, I get there. They're young. They're enthusiastic. They're all smiling, right? I'll never forget getting to, um, it was in Denver. There's a huge Enterprise there. There's 20 young people. Not one person that day, that moment was there. I stand there. I drop my luggage. I go, who wants to rent me the most beautiful car? And I stopped and I'm smiling and I'm like, is it you? Is it you? Is it you? How about you? Do you want to rent me the car? And they're all like, this guy's a lunatic. <laughs> well, guess what I got? The best customer service ever. I made them all laugh. And I got like a freaking SUV Cadillac or something. <laughs> Probably for a deal. Yeah. I love it. I love it. So good. All right. On the same thing in sports, I want you to think, so you're known, you were known as the t-shirt guy. You know, you're throwing away t-shirts. If your job was to sell t-shirts, okay, what ideas would you have to sell t-shirts in an entertaining way? Other than throwing them off? <laughs> Other than giving them away for free? I don't know. Just So you're hired as a t-shirt hawker, but you can use any of your sticks, any of your you know, things to sell t-shirts in a fun way. Well, I think I would put them on people and then I would spray them with water and say, how does it feel? And close your eyes, how does it feel? Does it feel good? <laughs> and I would have someone, then I would be like, okay, wear the shirt, all right, cheer. Say, go bananas, no, say it louder. Oh my God, are you feeling the shirt feel good on you? Okay, great, oh my God. See, you're happier. Oh my God, your smile, I can't contain your smile. Can you contain your smile? I didn't think so. All right, let's get you that medium and that color looks perfect on you. Let me see you smile, okay, you're smiling, perfect. Bam, would you like one for your brother? Your brother looks upset he doesn't have one. Hey, little Jack, come here, Jack. Jack, why don't you take this shirt? Why don't you tie it around your head like a bandana? Jack, look at you and your sister. You guys are the most beautiful kids in the ballpark. <laughs> I love it. I love it. I love it. That was just a whole shtick. And see, that's the thing. You've done so many things. You've done things warming up crowds at comedy. You've done emceeing. You've done so many things that you could just jam on that. So again, why aren't we hiring people? Why are we hiring people that just have the same experience? Hire people that have outside experience that can just do what you just did, which many people can't do. Well, yeah. I mean, to the bottom line, everything comes back to permission, right? You, yeah. you, you set the tone as a leader in your company to allow your people to act a certain way, to behave a certain way, to be able to be part of your brand experience. You know, um, a CEO sitting in their office in Detroit can't look after everything, but he can create a tone or she can create a vibe. There's a lot of great, my partner's an executive and she creates this vibe on set when she works in film. And everyone on set is smiling, laughing, and she comes into set every day. And she says, all right, we're going to make TV history today. She does that every single day. I love it. I love it. And it's that enthusiasm that's contagious. 
you've said permission over and over again, permission to stand out. I love you said some of your Cameronisms. Again, I'm just making that up. Get up and become your own biggest fan. Get up and become your own biggest fan and take more chances, dance more dances. I know it rhymes, but can you elaborate on either of those? Yeah, you know, I think that that's my life. That's the book right there. You know, I got up that first game because I believed in myself and you've got to cheer on yourself first. And if you do, the crowd will cheer you on, right? I think that's the most valuable message that I lived and want to share with people is that it has to start from here, right? The heart. You can't look to your left or your right anymore for permission because at a certain point, you're going to grow up and be like, you're going to have to make these decisions. So, so start making them, trust them, and build that muscle, right? People listening, people watching, they're always like, oh, I could never do that at a game. It's not about you getting up at a game in front of 18,000 people and dancing and cheering and trolling t-shirts. It's about you getting up in your own life, in your own way, that makes you thrive, that celebrates your talent, that celebrates your spirit, celebrates the best of you. That's what I'm talking about. I love it. I love and it. if you do that, you'll have the magical moments that I share in the book and I've lived and all those other great things. You know, when we talked offline the first time and I share with you the email or the message you got from one of your friends and about, you use some colorful language, but it was, what are you the best at? What are you the best at? He kept repeating that. What are you the best at? And can you just share a little bit that impact that message had on you? Because I'll tell you, Cameron, the next day, I wrote down over and over again what I believe I'm the best at and to lean in on that. Yeah, I was going through a hard time in the sense of all over, scattered all over the place, trying to pitch TV shows, trying to host them, trying to do events. I was just doing, trying to do everything, right? And my friend knew, felt something. He just felt something. And we had a chat and he sent me the email. I didn't ask him to send me the email, but after a phone call, like a good friend does, he followed up. And he wrote me this email that basically just said, stop trying to do it all. Like called me out on it, but with love. Like it was so much love in that email. You know what I mean? And yeah, he used a few big words, but he did them for impact and it worked. And that email hit me so hard. I mean, I framed, it's in the book because he's like, just focus on what you're best at. You know what I'm best at? I'm best at getting a crowd to respond, to have a little more fun, to have a little laugh, to share a little smile. So when I focused on that, Jesse, that's when my truly the doors opened and the opportunities came. And also I had more fun, right? Well, you know what you're supposed to be doing and it's clear. I wasn't at a game performing in wherever it is, Winnipeg, Manitoba, worrying about pitching my next TV show. Are you think they're going to buy it? Oh my God, I hope so. I was in the moment, right? Yes, 100%. At a certain point, we have to try everything, right? Just figure out what we're best at. So I think that the other thing is, his point in the email as well was, dude, don't beat yourself up. It's okay, right? But now's the time to focus, right? Yeah, it was so spot on. As someone who's like trying to do so many things as well, I, I wrote, no, I'm meant to deliver fun. I'm meant to entertain. If I'm delivering fun to more people, sharing it, having, everything else takes care of itself. And so everything. how do you deliver fun? And so you, by you as an entertainer, by you writing this book, you're delivering what you do to more people, which then gets you more opportunities to do that, that continues this virtuous cycle. How do you do what you're best at so it keeps you doing more of that and making a bigger impact? Aha moment, you killed it, Cameron. All right, so I wanna go rapid fire on these last three, all right? And then I know we could do another four-hour podcast, but that's a whole other thing. You haven't shared some of stories, so I wanna give you an opportunity for a story. Share something that you've done that's fans first. You know, in my book, I talk so about fans first, they are company. Some moment during a game that was like, came to you, I'm going to do this, and it's going to be, make an impact. 
I think it, for me, it would be the simplicity of it. I'm going to go to the simplicity of it. Oh. I think it would be a moment that a kid owned time and time again, and I made it about the kid when it could have easily been about me, right? And in a sense, when I say about me, I could have been the fearless person. And I met the kid at dozens and dozens of games, the little girl, the little kid, whatever it is. And I made them the biggest star of the show. And that to me is when you, you could be exhausted and drained from performing, from traveling, and you have those moments, it's all worthwhile. How do you do it? How do you make them the biggest star? What do you do? Well, I mean, that's the, <laughs> I mean, I could have written chapters on, on that in the sense of back to my point of creating the safe zone because the parents are allowing some total crazy stranger to come and take your kid out of the seat and put them in the crowd. And there's this kid in, in Colorado and he would come on my shoulder and he would twirl the shirts and the crowd would go up, 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 up. Oh my God. Then sent me a picture of he and I, and it's in his bedroom. And I was like, what? That was the impact I made on the kid. This picture is actually in the book. And it was the moment that you realize that it's about the kids, it's about the fans, it's about pushing them, and they've got to come with you. And it led to the greatest moment of my career where I was performing in British Columbia, Vancouver, and there's 30,000 people. It's the end of the day. It's a seven-hour Rugby Sevens event. I turn around, and there's five young kids dancing, and I turn around again, and there's only one dancing. And I get out of the way, and he's dancing, he's dancing, and he's a really good dancer. The crowd sees him, and they love him, okay? His name's Malcolm. At the time, he was 18. He's Down syndrome. And I got to get goosebumps. I can't even tell the story. He starts twirling the shirts, Jesse. Everyone's dressed up. Everyone's going crazy. 30,000 people are like, here, 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 here. And he won't stop. <laughs> and I'm supposed to stop the music and do a slow clap. So eventually, we stop it together. He does the Usain Bolt, you know, electric thing. And then we start a slow clap. And then he keeps dancing. It was the greatest moment of my career. I've been on center court at the US Open with Novak Djokovic. I've met Roger Federer. I've done all these things. That was it because it was about celebrating the fans and that moment that allowed, it's like I got out of the way. The best leaders, what do they do? You got to get out of the way and let your people shine. So good. It's so good. And look for those, those customers, your employees, the people you work with. How do you push them to the spotlight instead of themselves? I think that's, and think about that a team, you know, the players. They have such an opportunity to let the, the child be the superstar. And I remember I, I'll talk with Johnny Greco about it, a story where I think on opening night for the Vegas Golden Knights, it was right after the tragedy that happened in Vegas with the shooting. And they had the first responders and they actually introduced the first responders and they had the players escorted by so-and-so player. They made the first responders the hero. That is so powerful and exactly what you're saying. Your customers, your fans, the kids, they're the stars of the show. I love it. So good. So good. You know, I, I think it's that simple. That video has over, I think, 10, 11 million views and people still talk about it because it's like when you're watching this happen and you're the producer, you got to let it happen. Oh, well, let's go to the PA read. No, I don't think we should go to the PA read right now. Right? Yeah. So as a leader watching it as well, all of these things that unfold, even if you're at a conference and you're on stage and you're, your executives getting up and doing the dance, keep the music going. Who cares? Yeah. You know what I mean? It's just as valuable, like 100%. bringing people and culture together, right? hundred percent. When I proposed to my wife in the sixth inning of the game, we had a fireworks show go off in the middle of the game and the umpires and the coaches were like, when are we going to play? I go, this is our moment. All right. So I guess I made myself and my wife the star, but it was fine. It's a whole nother thing. Delay the game. Enjoy the moment. Be a part. Last two here quickly. What does go bananas mean to you? It means to let loose and, and be yourself. 
I was in an Uber ride from uh, Chicago to Cleveland once. The driver, he said, I can't believe you're going from the finals to the NBA finals. And he looks at me and goes, that's bananas. <laughs> Being yourself. I love it. I love it. What makes someone unforgettable? Their smile. Their genuine smile. Never heard that. That's powerful right there. All right. I want to share one more quote from your book, and then I want to leave you with anything you want to leave these crazy listeners who have been a part of this whacked out journey that we've been on today. All right. From your book, a lot of folks think it's all about passion for the game. That's not enough. You have to have a passion for the fans, for the audience. They're there to see a game, sure, but they also want to feel like they're a part of it all. And that's what I do. I'm not just a crazy mascot doing skits. I'm there to lead the fans and get them cheering. Again, exactly what you were talking about, being there for your fans, emphasizing them, making them the hero, putting them in the spotlight. Yeah, you know, it is about them. And I think that the day we, we lose sight of that is the day we lose our fans. So, yeah, I think it's like keeping that spark and igniting that passion in our fans and our customers, and we all win. You know, the cheer you give is the cheer you get. I love it. Any last story, thing you want to share? We've gone through a lot, but anything else you want to share? You know, you can hear about the eight hospital visits <laughs> in the book. No, I, yeah, the last thing I'll leave is this, is that I'm really grateful. And someone said to me the other day, but I had a cool moment with someone talking about each opportunity, right? We have an opportunity every event I go to, to put a smile on someone's face. I don't want to leave with sad because it's not sad in, in many ways, but I'm seeing the Minnesota Wild jersey. My dad had a stroke and I got the phone call that I had to come home. I'm in the hotel room. It's five hours before the game. There's no flight to get home. And my friend calls me and says, you have the chance to put a smile on 18,000 people's faces tonight. You don't know what their story is, right? You don't know if, what they're going through. But think of how lucky you are to give them that extra smile. So the head of the entertainment for the team said, well, the Wild said, you know, look, go home, family first. You don't, don't do the game. It's all fine. Well, guess what I did? I did the game. And I had a chance to put a smile on 18,000 faces. And I'm so grateful for being able to do that for the last 26 years. Mm, I love it. And that's talking about regrets. You know, you'll never regret the things you do for others. And that's what you did 100%. So we got serious there. We got crazy earlier. You know, you talk about just getting up. I hope people leave this and just get up. Just get up. Get up. I mean, we talk about stop standing still, start standing out. You say, just get up. Let's do it. And go bananas. <laughs> I want to finish this before one more shout out for you. I got to give a shout out because I know he's listening. Jack Thompson, the man who first connected us, the man who first hired me to work as a 23-year-old and who gave me a chance to do some crazy things, convinced the owner to give me a job introduced us and he empowered me to do a lot of crazy things. So Jack, appreciate you connecting us and the impact you've made, my friend. You know, Jack, anything we want to say for Jack? Yeah. I mean, thank you to Jack too. I think that's a huge part of my book and our, both of our stories. It's giving someone a shot, right? Yeah. Yes. In, in a shot or an introduction. I, I, I think we, we underintroduced creative and like-minded people. LinkedIn was created for a reason. I'm not promoting LinkedIn right now, but the concept of it, right? Let's keep sharing that magic with each other and we'll all get to be able to create a lot more smiles. 100%. Give people a shot, an introduction, get them going, give them permission. King of Cheer is where it's at. You can connect with Cameron. He does some great stuff on Instagram. We'll share more of the show notes. And uh, he's biting my book right now, which I don't know if is a good <laughs> appropriate, but Cameron, I appreciate you, man. Thanks for making a difference. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Business Done Differently, where we believe that challenging the status quo, creating fans first, and changing the game is the best way to grow your business. 
For more information about the guest and topics covered in this episode, visit findyouryellowtux.com or shoot me a note at jesse at findyouryellowtux.com. Until next time, stop standing still, start standing out.